Listener Production. Welcome to the Footy Talk Summer Series, where we're showing you something a little bit different that we also produce here in the listener studios. This is the Howie Games, and it's Australia's number one sports podcast. It's where the biggest name in the world sports go one-on-one with Mark Howard. Howie has now published over 200 episodes, and across the summer of Footy Talk, we're going to be dropping some little taste episodes, some Howie Games mini-apps in this Footy Talk podcast feed to give you a bit of a taste of some of our favourite footy personalities that have sat down with Howie across that journey. This one is with Ben Graham, who had a remarkable career with the Cats and also in the NFL. In this mini episode, Ben speaks with Howie about becoming the captain of Geelong. He spoke about the start of his NFL journey and debuting in the NFL. Before we get to your first dealings with the NFL, mate, you became captain of the Geelong Footy Club, which no doubt was a very proud um, moment for you. What did you learn about leadership and leading a group of people, which is what in some ways you would have had to do there? Oh, absolutely. It was 2000 when Bomber Thompson first arrived at the club and um, it was – I never really saw myself as, as as the next captain um but it was and it's something that I, I spent a, a lot of time thinking about and working on and to the point where I still think I never got it right really? um but it was there was times when you felt like you had to do it all on your own and then there were times when you know you you knew that the support that you needed um or you could lean on was was there and that was sort of the start of you know, the next wave of young leaders coming through. Because back then, you know, Steve Johnson and Paul Chapman and Andrew Mackey and Corey Enright, Joel Corey and Matthew Scarlett and all those, they were all coming through, finding their finding their way. Um, so it was, a, it, was, it was a massive honour and something that I absolutely cherished. And, and, you know, it was hard to give up at the end of 2002, but understood the club's position mm. and um, and then went on to, to play my role for the for the next couple of years like a lot of veterans do when they um, you know Mark Murphy's in the same situation yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if if he hands it over and um, just enjoys the last couple of years of his career so when um, you said when you said Benny that you look back on it now and there's some things that you do differently as a 40 odd year old man looking back on a 20 odd year old man what what would you do and what have you learnt well um, there were times when, you know, you didn't listen enough or you didn't show enough empathy or you didn't consult or bring enough people along for the journey. Um, and now being out of the game, you understand some of those things that are important and if you knew what you know now back then, mm. and some people have that innately. So as I said, I... I I probably didn't play my best footy either while I was captain, so there were some challenges in that respect. But um, look, it, it was a it was a great honour. I never ever took it for granted, and you know when I do look back on my career, and you know people still ask, "Geez, if you had a stuck around, you you, you might have played in that two thousand seven 
grand final. Well, I have no regrets as far as all that goes because I was into my 30s by the time I retired and um, they didn't win a flag for another three years. Mm. But all the work that we put in during that period with all those young players and building that foundation, I, I was, couldn't be prouder when they finally went on where, to win it. Where were you then? Knowing that the role that I'd played. I was in the in, in America, um, in New York, uh, cheering <laughs> as loud as I possibly could with, with my family and a few mates that I'd introduced to the game. So what happened at the end of 2004 was the club were quite okay with me to go over and explore it mm-hmm. and said, however long it takes, we don't care if you come back in February, you just... You know, we'll be here for you. So you're still a listed cats player. Yeah, but then what had what had to happen? They had to lost lodge their list at a certain point after I got back, and essentially wanted me to make a decision, and and that was probably the toughest period of the whole journey is making that decision. There was, and I've I got no problem in saying that. At the end of 2004, I probably thought I had another year left and pro- all it probably took was someone to come around, knock on the door, sit down and say, look, you're a valued member of this organisation, um, you've got a lot to offer, you've come this far, he's, he's, he's a one-year, he's, he's, he's another deal. For Geelong? Yeah. And, that and, didn't it, and it didn't happen and it didn't happen... Um, and I and I found out later a, a couple of behind the scenes things and I, and look at, at the at the end of the day, I f- felt like I made the right decision. But there was a couple of things that happened after I made the decision because there was a few people that were quick to jump on me. And Bomber was one. Um, he said a couple of things publicly, which you know, okay, fair enough. If that's how you think about this, along the lines of. That I was replaceable, right. which of course I am. Um, Not nice to hear as a professional athlete, though. No, it sort of it, it didn't it didn't make me feel good about the contribution that I'd given over a long period of time to the club. It was, it, but I understand that there's a bigger picture here with the club, and they needed to move on. Um, but the support I got, minus a couple of people, was amazing. Not just from the majority of Geelong, but the majority of the league. Yeah. There wasn't a person that barracked for another club that wasn't excited for me about with the journey I was about to embark on. <laughs> so I felt that support. But the quote that Bomber um, said publicly, I actually cut it out and laminated it and took it with me as part of the motivation to make it. Because I didn't want to come back to Geelong knowing I still had a year left, knowing that if I didn't make it, I'd wouldn't be able to just come back and start playing for Geelong again. It it was over essentially. So all that motivation and all the the hard work started then because the training camp wasn't until another nine months in July. So I effectively trained for nine months for the unknown. Where were you living? What was your family set up? So in Geelong. Right. Um I'd go and find parks, I'd have mates, we'd have balls, we'd kick and punt and train and lift and run and I had no idea 
Yeah, I, how did you know what you were trying to achieve? Well, not only really, Darren Bennett was the only one that was able to guide me. Um, he would come back and we'd have barbecues with the families and we'd talk about what it took and what I needed to focus on and we'd talk about the essence of punting and how to hold the ball and what they expected as far as technique and consistency. And So at this stage you weren't playing for the Cats but you had nothing lined up in America? No, so so the only – so the decision was based on an opportunity at the Jets. Right. So the NFL Europe, which is the journey Darren went on, yep. wasn't available. NFL Europe folded. Um, out of the workouts the, – The four different clubs. The four different to. teams. Yep. Um, the New York Jets was the most viable option. Right. Because of the – the punting situation. So their their punter finished last in the league and he'd been released and it was an open job and they were bringing guys in to go for that job. So when you went to the to the other clubs, you mentioned the Patriots, did you meet Brady? Yes. Right. So you roll up to New England Patriots and you're there. Like, how long are you there for? But he's only, he's not the Tom Brady no. we know now. He's, no, no. Yeah, he's... So are you there for three days, four days, one day? No, one day. One day, one day. Right. One day. Right. And so Eric Mangini was at the Patriots, but Ricky Nixon was my agent and we did a lot of work around an American agent and um, my agent was based in Boston. Um, so I spent some time there. But the New York Jets, they'd been following me since Eric was there back in 97. Mm-hmm. The Giants got wind of it, so they wanted to work me out while I was there. Um, for some unknown reason, John McEnroe was at that workout. Was he? But this, but this is so. I was asked to kick off as well in that workout, and I'd never kicked the ball off a tee ever, and I was terrible. They were laughing behind their clipboards, like, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> and to the point, well, and the, and the Vikings workout was uh, that Darren was at the Vikings at that point, and he wanted to bring me in, and he wanted to have the organisation sign me, and he was going to retire after the lists were lodged so that I became their punter by default. And uh-huh. they couldn't believe, the special teams coach couldn't believe that Darren would would do that. Like that no one in the NFL would just give up their job for someone else. Um, but as it turned out, the um, the New York Jets was the best opportunity because Mike Westhoff was the special teams coach who was a little bit out there. He was a little bit uh, eccentric. He was older. And he'd already told them that he wanted to take a risk with someone and... I was someone that they saw as a huge leg that was an athlete from another sport that, yeah, I might have some things I needed to work on, but they were willing to to work on it or at least bring me to camp and go into direct competition with another punter. So this is when I started to learn about, you know, there's two punters in camp and it's all great fun and we're good mates and we're going out punting together and playing golf. and But then you realise there's a point where only one of us is going to get this job. So then your competitive juices started flowing and they they put you up against each other and everything's recorded, distance, hang time, get off time, direction, the hang time. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a science. And he was a veteran, so he knew what he was doing and I was just this kid that just got off the boat that, you know, I'd pick up a ball and, and kick it really the the technique that I used, I'd been using since I could walk, whereas punters in the States, 
their techniques sort of learnt from college because they've been soccer players or they've been... Because okay. no-one in America grows up wanting to be a punter. No. They turn to a punter at some point later on in their life. When you're not going to be the quarterback. Right. That's right. You've made your debut for Geelong. What, what was your debut in the NFL like? Well... Did you have belief that you could do it? Oh, by that point, there'd been a good six months of all I did was punt. And everything I'd prepared for or what I did or didn't know I was preparing for, it was the AFL that really prepared me to be a professional athlete and to understand the pressures and the moment. and and But all it comes down to, it doesn't matter how big or strong or fast, it's about your punt. Can you punt the ball long and far and high? So, and it wasn't perfect back then. Mike Westhoff just basically said, you kick the ball as far as you can. No, there's no direction here. There's no finesse. There is just, you put it down there and our boys will cover their ass off. And so in that first year, it was just balls out and broke franchise records and, um, you know, the second year was named captain of the Jets because punters are seen as a guy over in the corner that they just bring on to punt the ball now and again. I was actually part of the team. My journey and uh, the way I held myself in the locker room, I was one of the one of the team. But that, that first day, that first game, it was on September 11, 2005, and... It was obviously a big day yeah. in the history of, of the United States. Uh, so everyone was emotional. And I, I'd i asked if I could wear the Australian flag on my helmet because on every helmet there's the American flag. And they said no. And they, I understood why, but they're so patriotic. So patriotic. When the Blackhawks went over the stadium and the anthem was playing, I broke down. I was a mess. Huh. Just teared up. Um, everything that had happened to get to that point, and here, here we were on, on an historic day in America. And so um, I remember it vividly and remember my first punt and punted well and had a good win and, like, it was I, – I knew I belonged – it wasn't like I finished the game and went, shit, this is hard or, um, oh, no, I'm going to lose my job tomorrow. I felt like I belonged and, like I did at Geelong, thought that I was going to play for the Jets for the next 10 years. So this episode was released by Howie back in 2019. It was released with a Part A episode and a Part B episode. If you'd like to listen to the full episodes, they go for about two hours in total. You can do so via the link in this podcast. I've linked them there for you to check out. And if you want to listen to more Howie games, you can do so on any podcasting platform, Apple, Spotify, and the Listener app. Just search the Howie games. We'll be back with some more brand new footy talk for the 2024 season really soon. Listener.